around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. It's not new today. It's old. It's really old. It's a new episode about an old episode. March 23rd, 1967 (laughs) is when Errand of Mercy premiered. Wow. I imagine it to watch it, you'd have to hit your corded remote, <laughs> and then it would take like thirty seconds for your CRT bubble TV to yeah to crackle and activate. Those big clicky buttons and knobs and things. Yeah, fun stuff. The antenna. I'm, I have an antenna TV, Ben. I haven't had cable in probably ten years. I have never had a cable package that uh, I paid for in my entire life. When I was in middle school, my parents got cable, and I think they like ungot it by the time I was in high school. Like I think we had it for like three years, maybe like seventh, eighth, and ninth grade or something like that, and then we stopped having cable. The legend was that it was very difficult to stop having cable. Like, like there were there were families I knew that cut it off and still got it. It's so funny because my parents were so anti-TV, like my entire childhood, like (laughs) could not go further out of their way to like make it hard for me to watch TV, to like pathologize the watching of TV. All they do now is watch fucking Rachel Maddow. How would you know the results of Wimbledon or the US Open though? Like the newspaper? Exactly. We we got the Farmer's Almanac (laughs) and found out last year's results. (laughs) Just got to know if Pete Sampras won. Uncle Pete, we called him. (laughs) Yeah. If you've listened to any of our other original series episodes of The Greatest Discovery, I think you'll know just how excited we are to watch more and more of these. And and with all of this free time we have, too, (laughs) Ben. We don't know when we're getting new Star Trek again. I know, yeah. The the wait is on, but um, I think that, like... We've, we've been thinking about these last couple episodes, especially as kind of archaeology into the into the like founding myths about these alien races. And when we watched the um, the balance of terror a couple of weeks ago on the show, I found uh, that there was a surprising verisimilitude between the original depiction of the Romulans and the most modern depiction of the Romulans. And I think that right. this is in stark contrast to that. The uh, the Klingons are not only not as loafy as they have become in the modern era, but they are also a very different type of villain, I think. Yeah, their values are are not very recognizable, <laughs> I would say, yeah. in this episode to, uh, to those that we come to know later. Nary a mention of Gilish! <laughs> I mean, you get Baldrick's aplenty. Yeah. But uh, but not a lot of mentions of honor. No, not a single mention of honor. And in fact, things are done by Klingons in this episode that fly in the face of honor. Very dishonorable. Quite dishonorable. Um, I think it's kind of an interesting project. Well, uh, I am excited to come up with some new observations for this old show. This old Star Trek <laughs> is what we're watching today. 
as we get into uh, the original series. Season one, episode 26, Errand of Mercy. The show gets me every single time with its exteriors. That opening shot. Yeah. Good and well done. Awesome. The ship is uh, out patrolling space and the, the backdrop is some, some Klingon diplomacy is going down that is looking a bit shaky. I guess Kirk and Spock have both imagined that the, uh, that the peace talks with the Klingon Empire uh, have not gone well. And their prediction is, is, is borne out in the first instance of this uh, episode because Kirk gets a giant iPad with <laughs> some bad news on it. It's like a purse. Yeah. We've both guessed right. It's like Spock's ready to go out for a night on the town and yet Spock makes you hold his phone all night. <laughs> like, why even have the purse, right, Spock? Right. Form over function in a way that is displacing all of the inconvenience onto me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah doesn't seem fair I love how Spock's chair swivels when he gets out of it and the camera lingers on the shot long enough for it to just go boom 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 <laughs> like it it, it it goes side to side like six times before we're out of the shot yeah the camera loves that chair just wants to hang out looking yeah. at it there's a lot of fun like casuality about uh, <laughs> about the way they behave on the bridge because like in pretty short order, they're getting surprise attacked by Klingons and there's some bangers on the bridge and then Kirk like gets in his chair and like very casually like kind of crosses his legs. He's like not really afraid for his life. He's like, he's really chilling the most despite the fact that they're under attack by a D7. It's a quality that I've noticed. Well, I think all dog owners probably know this. When your dog is scared, the tail gets tucked. <laughs> And I feel like when Kirk's legs are crossed, it means he's not really ready for war. Like, <laughs> I feel like wide stance is when you're ready to fight, right? Yeah, but it, I think it telegraphs something in the other direction. He's like not even expecting much of a fight if he's crossing his right. legs. He's like, these guys ain't shit. The crossed legs of a confident man is what you're saying? Yeah, like they, the Klingons get the drop on the entrepreneur in this scene, but mm -hmm. they fire back and it's like, Cool, we got them. <laughs> They're dead. How suspicious were you that that they did get them? So suspicious. I was like, yeah. oh, like this is going to be a thing about they cloaked and the Enterprise doesn't know that they have a cloak, and we're going to be we're going to be warming over many story beats from the last episode, and that's not what happened. I was wondering if this is just a quality of being a modern viewer, always expecting some sort of storytelling subterfuge. Like, right. I feel like we would never get a cold open on any television show for the last 20 years that opened with like success in, <laughs> of any kind. <laughs> like even even a Pyrrhic victory, like no, like, like it's a trap. That's what I'm expecting. They kill the D7. How often do you get to see that? Yeah, totally yard sales itself out in space. <laughs> It's just it's just batleths and those like metal tankards <laughs> of wine. Yeah, yeah. Various trophies from from tournaments where people won champion standing. You don't want to inhale a, a baldric into one of your nacelles. Oh yeah, yeah. That'll get caught in all the turbines, won't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's war. The Federation is at war with the Klingons, and the planet that is most vulnerable the they're compared to armenia in this in this episode in a very casual tossed off way the like 
primitive innocents that are the Armenians. Showing no deference to the many Turks who probably <laughs> bristled at the at the mention, right? Yeah, TurkFan69 is not a big fan of this episode. He doesn't like that the Armenians are depicted as having secret power. Right. But this planet is called Organia, and it's kind of in a, a convenient spot uh, in between the Federation space and Klingon space where you might, if you if you could take it over, you you could use it as a platform to launch attacks on the other. It's a planet that's known for its main export, which is sort of a kind of fizzy orange juice <laughs> that you think would taste good, just the idea of it, but is just really disappointing on every level. Surprisingly popular in France. <laughs> I don't feel like it even mixes well. Like, what is it good for? Organia, what is it good for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and it's so expensive. It's like $4 for a little like teardrop-shaped bottle. Give me a break. A little, little bit pricey. Always sediment at the bottom. What is that even? I like things that are a little bit disappointing like that, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I love I love just like the, the self-flagellating... Benjamin R. Harrison that that enjoys the refreshment of a disappointing beverage. <laughs> I'm I'm a bon vivant in many ways, Adam. But uh, <laughs> one way I'm a man of the people is that I love the drink that is the primary export of Organia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the the strategic value of the planet not lost on Kirk. So he's got to hightail the Enterprise there right away. They got to get there first before the Klingons do. And so he throws it into warp seven. This is a classic. There aren't enough Starfleet ships to to defend the things we want to defend issue. So the entrepreneur is going to be there first. And he hands the reins over to Sulu and he says, hey, listen, Spock and I are going to beam down and personally do the diplomacy of trying to get the Organians on our side. Your job is to hang out in orbit until an aggressive force of Klingons that is bigger than the Enterprise shows up, at which point you should hightail it out of here. Don't worry about us. If you're thinking about separating the ship, Sulu, <laughs> I would I would say don't even try in a circumstance like this. I think uh, I think a lot of captains who who stick someone at the con yeah. when they're not ready, their instinct would be saucer separation. Just don't do it. And it's interesting, like we do get a scene later when the Klingons start to show up and, and uh, the, the guy at the helm turns around and says, Captain, should we separate the saucer? And he says, are you kidding? <laughs> you think this is setting up a B story and we'll be cutting back and forth from Organia to the Enterprise. And what really emphasizes this idea is that you do cut back later on to the moment the Klingons arrive and you're like, okay. Back and forth, we're going to be fighting this battle on two fronts. And we're going to be seeing like Sulu's command style under stress. Like that would be right. a fun a fun story to tell. But this is the Renfair playset episode of Star Trek, the original series. Right. It's, it's Spock and Kirk only beaming down to Organia. And uh, it is, as you say, it is uh, it's jalabs. <laughs> it's uh, muddy walkways. <laughs> Uh, it's it's like I love the moment they beam down. It's they beam down to an empty set that is then backfilled with extras. The moment they beam in, they didn't have the camera tricks figured out where you could 
beam down with other people also on screen. So they just were like, every right. extra needs to come in the second these guys beam down. They beam down. Yeah. Um, very few people notice that they have beamed down, which kind of registers as unusual. They, uh, the, the, the local population, despite their apparent primitiveness, seem to be unimpressed uh, that the Federation has transporter technology, uh, all but a couple of peasants, one of whom says, who are they? And the other says, must be a king. And the first one says, how can you tell? He goes, because he's not covered in shit. Aleborn approaches and there's like a handler behind him with a couple of coconuts clicking them together <laughs> as if he's riding a horse. <laughs> yeah, so they they trot their way to the Organian that uh, that has come out to greet them. A uh, gentleman in a purple robe. Aleborn. Aleborn, right. Kirk and Spock are down there to warn them. You people are in great danger. I mean, the idea is they got here first so they could warn them. The Klingons are coming. Uh, it's time to batten down the hatches. And Aylborn, pretty chill in the face of this kind of warning. Yeah. He invites them into their uh, McLaughlin group chambers, yes, <laughs> uh, which are just like, uh, you know how these sets look. One big chair in the center of the table, and then uh, on either side, smaller chairs where your other old white guys sit. Yeah. And uh, Aylborn's the leader of this committee, and he is just not even trying to hear Kirk's warnings. And this is irritating to Kirk, uh, mostly because he actually says, I'm a soldier and not a diplomat. <laughs> it's interesting to think of, of Kirk thinking of himself like this. Yeah. But it's true. Captains of this era were not diplomats. Right. The diplomacy does not go well in this episode, period. It doesn't go well no. off screen when the Federation and the Klingons are trying to find a way to bury the hatchet. It does not go well in this scene. I thought this scene was very interesting because it really felt like it was setting up a kind of Swiss watch analogy for the Vietnam War in a way. Like, mm -hmm. okay, like the, the Klingons are coming and you can go with them. Bad guys, military dictatorship, they're going to turn this into a slave colony and put you all to work and it's going to suck ass for you. Or you could do what we want you to do, which is conform your society to our way of doing things, which is like, you know, nation building, like we'll teach you how to farm in a more effective way. We'll, you know, like build out your civil society institutions. You'll be a protectorate of ours. You'll be modeling your, your, society's advancement on our model but i promise it's better like you're just gonna have to take my word for it it's not too late for you to greet us as liberators right yeah guys once you hear this pitch you're gonna love it and like for the time that this came out i was like i was like all right here we go like this is gonna be a straight down the middle like cold war imperialism parable but it is less like that and more like a Twilight Zone episode. Totally. Because the pacifism of these people are is introduced in the context of there being some kind of secret. Like it's impossible that these guys have survived so long in this stasis that they've been in. Spot goes out and, and does some scouting and he comes back and he's like, the weird thing about the Organians is that uh, they've produced a wildly unpopular product that's been on the shelves for decades that no one <laughs> seems to buy. 
they're in a moment of of stasis. Like, yeah, he calls them a stagnant culture. Like they like they have not advanced at all in thousands of years, and this is like repugnant almost to Kirk. Right. Like what? They haven't improved anything. Yeah, it's a little disgusting. Like you're you're happy just stopping here with the <laughs> robes and the chairs and and these castle walls. What if human society stopped at castle by choice? <laughs> That's what happened here. You hate to see it. We cut up to Sulu and the Enterprise, and his view screen is filled with Klingon ships. And you're thinking, you're going to see a big battle here. Yeah. One detail I loved about this scene was when Kurt called up, Sulu like wanted to do something, and he like runs forward from the captain's chair to his station and does it himself. Which I think is like such a great little character detail. Like he's like, yeah, that's like his area and another guy is doing it right now. But he's like, I, I have all the muscle memory. I'll just get it done. Like that's such a, a recently promoted guy move. It's a very like Nick Burns, your company's computer guy thing to do. <laughs> like he doesn't have time to teach you how to clear your cash. He's just going to get in there and do it. Was that so hard? You could tell Sulu's in a hurry and and can't stay on the radio very long because he calls them Klingons and Kirk doesn't have a moment to correct him <laughs> on the pronunciation. Klingons. The Organians, their passivity is underscored by a weird kind of clairvoyance. Yeah. One of the guys on the panel, one of the panelists <laughs> in this McLaughlin group uh, is an intuitive. He... He knows what's going on in orbit, and he also knows that it means Kirk and Spock will be stranded with them. And he knows, yeah, he's like, there's like hundreds of Klingons beaming down uh, to the planet right now. Um, I think that that tension is there all the way through the episode. The these guys seem to be capable of some things that we don't fully understand, but they also never question like, are they as primitive as they appear until that veil falls away intentionally? Right. And I wondered about that, like, because like, there's that frustration of, of like, like, you don't understand. Like, if the Klingons show up, you are going to be slaves. It's going to be a dog shit existence for you forever. Quite the welcome, my dear. Like, we can protect you from that. And the Organians don't seem, it's, it's not even that they're like, reject the idea of teaming up with the Federation. It's that they don't seem to understand that there's a difference. And there's like this kind of this this kind of imperial like neo imperialist like like if you could if I could only explain to you from my perspective why you should be on my side and not theirs, and the Organians are like not interested in what Kirk has to say about that. It's what adds to the frustration for Kirk. It's like it's so obvious to Kirk, right? what they should do. And it's not like Kirk is even ordering them to do anything. He's like, this is the reality as I know it. The reality as I know it has one possible conclusion if you don't do anything. Why would you choose that direction for yourselves? It's kind of, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Deep Space Nine episode where Cisco tricks the Romulans into the war. Yeah. He doesn't have anything to show them to like convince them. So he yeah. just needs them to take his word for it. And their refusal to do so is incredibly frustrating to him. The Klingons beam down and uh, and they're all over the town square playset. Yeah. You might not recognize them by <laughs> how they look at this point. Uh, 
a troubling amount of Klingon face yeah. happening here. They have uh, been exclusively casted as uh, guys who look like they would work in your dad's office, uh, mm. but with a little bit of dark shoe polish rubbed on their face. Yeah, it's the sort of thing where uh, if any of these Klingon soldiers were then given a late night show and this footage uh, <laughs> popped up, it would be uh, not be a good look for them. You know what they look like is uh, the way uh, Tim Heidecker looks in the Bang Bang Cops and Robbers <laughs> sketch. You know what? That's an interesting distinction. Like, it is definitely not blackface, but it is, I play an auto mechanic in an 80s television show face <laughs> right. where you're just kind of greasy. Yeah, they're they're greasy. They're a little bit darked up, but they're also like paunchy and like obviously white guys. Like, yeah. With the exception of John Kolikos, who has a a more exotic look to him, they're really like corn-fed, plain old white guys. It is really true. <laughs> they do not look like a warrior race. I'll put it that way. <laughs> the production note for, for Klingon alien design was oriental. Wow. Good job, Gene. <laughs> yeah. Way to go. Uh, core as you mentioned, is the leader of this occupying force. And uh, he introduces himself by saying, you know, we've got some new rules around here. I'm going to post them in the town square. It's pretty simple. Obey the rules or die. I I know you're expecting this. I'm a Klingon. Yeah, he kind of walks in with his chest puffed out like, hey, nice to meet all of you. I'm the the governor around here. That has been established. The Organians have given Kirk and Spock... Uh, costumes to uh, to mimic locals. They um, they've they've maintained their department continuity because Kirk gets a a gold shirt and Spock gets a blue shirt. But uh, but they're they're in drag as I guess Kirk is in drag as an Organian and Spock is uh, representing himself to be a Vulcan traitor. But Kor uh, does not like the idea of a Vulcan being around, so he quickly takes uh, Spock into custody. For course part, he takes a look at Kirk and recognizes him as kind of a Locutus figure. <laughs> uh, he says, to facilitate our introduction into your societies, <laughs> it has been decided that a human voice will speak for us <laughs> uh, in the town square. You have been chosen to be that voice. Kirk is like, I don't want to do that. And he says, well, just turns <laughs> out resistance is futile. Yeah. I, I was not expecting that kind of callback. Here in the original series, I didn't. I didn't realize where that dialogue came from, but yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's got deep roots in Star Trek. When you're planning an invasion, you always want to pick a Lacutus. <laughs> I also just like this scene because, like, everybody is super confident in their position. Like the Organians are not worried about this. Kor is not worried about the presence of a Vulcan. Kirk is not worried about speaking up on Spock's behalf. Like nobody is like afraid of anyone else in this scene. It's wild how how crazy making it is to watch this take place and see that the Organians are like, well, this is just another uh, committee meeting that we have (laughs) once a week. Like just observing this dispassionately as if this doesn't have grave consequences for them. You wonder how Dax got to be such good friends with Kor. He's a real dickhole. Yeah, especially when you learn of the presence of a mind ripper on the planet that yeah. the Klingons use on Spock. 
Spock has uh, has been assuming the role of a of a Vulcan traitor, and he's had his mind ripped. And the mind ripper <laughs> did not work on Spock because Spock has uh, better defenses than the Klingons. Uh, you know, know how to how to get over. But this raises an interesting point. Like Spock is a I'd never lie guy. You know, mm-hmm. like that's a major plot beat with Spock in the uh, in the films, and uh, and he is. Very comfortable with lying up and down to the Klingons in this episode. I wish we got to see the Mind Ripper machine just sort of smoking and struggling <laughs> as it as it tries to rip Spock's mind. <laughs> well, while like one of Core's uh, associates is like furiously trying to like dial it in, shoveling coal into the hopper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never see the Mind Ripper. It's too bad. But what you do get is. Again, like it's interesting how this episode presents its fear because for the Organians part, like you get the stone-faced reaction to existential threat and for Spock's part, Spock's been connected to the Mind Ripper and he's the same Spock as he was before. He describes it in very plain terms as it's not for most people. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, I was able to get through it because I, I am a unique mind with a with a firewall partition. Yeah. Uh, but for you, Kirk, I don't think you'd enjoy it. <laughs> it's a bit of a dunk, right? He's like, yeah, you have to have a, a little bit more of a sophisticated palate to appreciate the Mind Ripper. <laughs> Yeah. The Mind Ripper is the malort of torture devices. <laughs> so their idea is like, what we've got to do is get some insurgent warfare going here on Organia. We got to make it impossible for the Klingons to justify the cost of the fight for Organia. And so Kirk's plan is, let's blow some shit up. And Spock is like, cool, well, I've got this grenade. <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk's like, did you get that out of the Mind Ripper room? Where did you get that? <laughs> so they uh, they find the um, kind of like the delivery dock where the Klingons are, are shipping all their giant Christmas presents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like a mall Santa display uh, ready to have bows put on them. <laughs> it's a pre-bow mall Santa display. Okay, there's your title, Robs. There is your title. <laughs> I love the drop the grenade and then run, but don't get cover. Like, just run for a big wall on the other side of the space. This is such an interesting composition here that I don't feel like you get very often, which is like wide shot explosion. You see that all the time. But wide shot react to explosion is a quality of a, of a composition I don't think you get basically ever yeah because it's like like they are you know a quarter the height of the frame they're they're so far back and then we get like a puff of smoke in the foreground and like we're cutting back and forth between that and like a close-up of like a firework going off but i wonder why this never caught on production wise for like independent productions because it seems like a fun way to you can't make anything that blows big, but you can make it seem like the explosion was big by going wide on the react instead of close on the react. Right, and like setting off a little a little like party store smoke bomb in the foreground. Right, you're using the the difference in scale to your advantage there. It's a pretty it's a pretty exciting moment and uh they def- it definitely feels like it blew big. <laughs> uh in the aftermath Kirk saunters into the McLaughlin group and he's like, all right, we've gotten the insurgency started. Uh, 
You want to make some plans with us? How do you, the five old white men that run this planet, uh, feel about getting involved? (laughs) Yeah. The way it'll work is we've involved you, and then you involve five other people on Organia, (laughs) and then those five get another five, and Spock's going to keep pulling grenades out of his butt, and then before you know it, uh, the Klingons are going to be gone. You know, depending on the level you're at, and you guys are in on the ground floor of this thing, like you're, we're talking about like gold watches and Mercedes for you guys. Kirk's speech doesn't really have much of an effect, and we also get a payoff of a of a thing that's been happening from the start. Kor has been listening in into this room. Yeah, he's heard it all. He's heard everything. He has a listening device, and uh, he's now on to them. He knows that Kirk and Spock are Starfleets. He knows that the Organians have uh, have hid them from him. And so it's like, it's literally like cut to core overhearing this, cut back to the room as core and his guys come in to arrest Spock and Kirk. Core's the kind of bad guy that doesn't just throw you in a cell. He wants to have a drink with you first, which I think is great. Yeah. There's a gentility among like white collar criminals, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, like it sucks that we do have to punish you for this crime. But like, you know, obviously you're like me and I'm like you, you know, we live in the same neighborhood. Kirk's not going to drink that shit (laughs) and he's not going to play ball in this scene. So he gets thrown in the same cell as Spock right on top of a hay covered mat, (laughs) 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 which is maybe my favorite shot in the episode. How long do you think it took the paint to dry on that blue gym mat that they painted black? What's crazy is that if you punch in just a little bit on the lens, you take the mat out or at least the front facing part of the mat, like of the rectangle. Yeah. And I think you save the shot if you do. It's the front facing part that kills it. You still get the top with the straw on top. I wondered if this was a function of modern televisions that don't cut off as much as old TVs. Like, was this like- this is on the bottom part of the bubble in a 60s TV. Like when you're in an editing software, you have a, a border around your around your video and that's called the action safe. And if you use a shot where something important happens outside that, that, that line is there to tell you that like on some TVs, you might miss seeing mm-hmm. that. And then there's a, an interior border to that called the title safe, which is like, don't even try to put text outside of this area because you definitely won't see it on every TV. And I'm wondering if like seeing the front edge of that mat exposes it because you see it like react to him falling on it. But I bet it just blends in as floor when like when like the bottom sixth of the shot is cut off. I bet it does. Yeah, I bet in the 60s, this was not a problem. I bet pre-remaster, uh, this wasn't a problem. Right. Well, they uh, they languish in this cell. This is also the beginning of the countdown, right? To save the Organians. I was a little unclear about this timeline, though. I was unclear about it as well. I'm sure we'll get letters. <laughs> anyway, uh, Aelborn arrives to spring them from their cell uh, and then they're brought back to the council chamber after being told this is one of two sets they have. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they're there. Uh, their reasons are very confusing and growing more confusing the more we are with Aelborn, Ail- their reasons yeah. for not involving themselves in this conflict. 
Yeah, and it's like it's such a weird scene. He just kind of like opens the door. He's like, "You got you want to come with me?" And they're like, "Okay." I offer you safety. And there don't seem to be any guards. There don't seem to be right. I'm screaming at the TV at this point, like, "Ask why." <laughs> Right. Like things keep happening that you can't explain. Ask why. <laughs> right. Kor doesn't think about going to Aylborn's chamber to look for Kirk and Spock. Instead, he gets on the PA and demands their return. Here's the thing. Like, why is there a PA system in a society that, that has not exceeded Castle in terms of, <laughs> of technology? I only can imagine that the Klingons had to bring that with, but that seems yeah. like a like a week two install when you've taken <laughs> over a planet. Like it seems like the Klingons have taken over this planet and the first six hours installed a planet wide public address system. Now when you install in a PA system <laughs> in a castle, I think one of the most frustrating things is that you have to cut all your drops yourself. It's the classic AV club guy's lament. <laughs> Up in Seattle, my wife and I lived in a very old house, and this was like a constant, right? Like you can't just put in a new outlet thinking that it's going to be easy. Right. You need to cut through the plaster and do the run, and you mm-hmm. need to use like the, the the telescoping fish hook thing. Oh, wow. Did you guys have plaster and lath in, in your house up there? We did. We did. Wow. And yeah, it's a it's a nightmare to to do these installations, and so I imagine there's some hardworking Klingons, hardworking Klingons, <laughs> on Orangina, uh, trying to do these installs. It's a real pain in the ass. You know what this planet reminds me of is the encounter at Farpoint Planet. Really does. It's like the same. Like, why is everything so dusty and spider webby? Also, there's like apparently no prime directive problems here because like what Kirk is offering these kind of pre-renaissance yo-yos is like, yeah, we'll give you like replicators and technology and space flight and shit. Like, isn't that a, isn't that like against the rules? It seems like in this case, the Organians are, are espousing the values of the prime directive at Kirk and he's just not getting the joke. He's not getting that the joke is on him. <laughs> so core is rip shit. And he's saying that if, if you don't make with producing Kirk and Spock, on his desk, he's gonna he's gonna execute two hundred Organians uh, every couple of hours, and to prove his point, he then executes two the first two hundred, <laughs> yeah. and you hear it over the PA. He does not give them any time to get ready for this, and this like really lights a, car- a fire under Kirk's ass, and he explains to Aylborn like you have to give us our phasers back, like we can put a stop to this, but you can't withhold our our armaments from them and Aylborn resists initially but when Kirk moves Aylborn's chair out from under the table and says it right to his face he's like all right well there is in that that one piece of furniture in this room Kirk hits both of his sticks at the same time for dead eye and then he sees uh, a cupboard glowing in the corner <laughs> of the room <laughs> so he goes over to that cupboard hits triangle and then he grabs his phasers from inside it fucking drove me nuts that Spock goes and opens the cupboard. He gets the phasers. He gets the communicators. Leaves the tricorder. He leaves the tricorder and the cocaine gum behind. <laughs> I don't understand. What are the chances you're going to need either of those things, Spock? Right. Kirk's departing message basically is like, all right, we got the phasers. I guess we're going to go kill ourselves defending you now. And the olds at the table are like, yeah, I guess so. 
Yeah, if that's what you got to do. At the beginning of their time on the planet, they like standing down in the town square and they look up and they see a castle. And I, I think that what is being telegraphed here is that they are now at the castle, right? Like Kor's, <laughs> Kor has installed himself in the castle, but there's no like, like it is very, very thin uh, evidence to base that that perception on. I wish I had put that together, but I did not. I did not have a good sense of the geography yeah. of this episode. Because like the next scene is like Kirk and Spock like hiding in the bushes outside of a different building and shooting some Klingons on stun. One of the many moments in the episode where I were like, where I was like, okay, I mean, it'd be good to know what's going on up in orbit with Sulu and the ship, but also, <laughs> uh, like, they could radio for reinforcements at this point, also, right? I think they can't because Sulu and the ship have have left to get the fleet, and then they're coming back. That's the idea. Yeah, I, th- I think that's what it is. Like, but it's. It's not uncrappy in the way that you're thinking about it. It's going to be clear to a super TOS nerd what's happening here, but I just watched this episode for the first time. I've got (laughs) questions. Yeah. Like just adding a moment of them like seeing like, let's see if the ship is still in range. Try the communicator. It's not. That's that's a thing that that so many Star Trek episodes do to to show the passage of time even like, are they back yet? No, we're checking in. That's it. Yeah. They don't do that. They they get to stunning Klingons and grabbing guys from corridors and wrapping shoelaces around their necks pretty quickly. They grab a Kor's lieutenant who's off to round up another 200 victims. And uh, this was kind of the moment where I really started to think about how different these Klingons are from the Klingons of Worf even. Like this guy, this guy gives up the goods very quickly like there's no question of honor there's no question of like like he is a a self-serving man that does not have any particular allegiance to the to the higher cause of the klingon empire or the mission or anything like that and for kirk's part kirk is like choking the information out of him yeah (laughs) (laughs) not not a thing that you would see in like a tng episode right (laughs) picard with a shoelace around someone's neck like does number two work for? I'm trying to imagine a moment where Picard had his hands around someone's throat and I'm struggling to <laughs> to think of a moment where that happened. Yeah. They get the information about where Kor is. Uh, I think their idea is that they're going to kind of chop the snake's head off by arresting Kor. And, uh, and so they find him in his office. This is the big exciting moment. They're going to they're gonna take him into their custody. And Core has kind of like kind of like a good villain monologue here, which was like the ideological differences between the Klingons and the Federation are like not that big in his mind. Like, sure, like there's some kind of like ways our governments are set up, things that are a little bit different, but like ultimately we are both expansionist colonialist powers and like you're you're kidding yourself if you don't think that were basically the same from the perspective of these people. And then Kor tells Kirk he's his father. (laughs) And Kirk is like, that's not true. That's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. (laughs) They begin a Star Trek fight that they cannot continue because everything has gotten real hot. 
too hot to handle. They have to drop all the phasers and disruptors. They can't even punch each other up on the Enterprise. Yeah. All of the all of the controls become too hot. It's too bad Spock wasn't up on the Enterprise with his of gloves, right? He would have taken yeah. all those Klingons right away. It's true. It's like less than half a second cut up to the bridge where everybody goes like, ha, ah, too hot, ha. Ah. I feel like there's a unified theory of acting where hot looks exactly alike like you know how in uh in late 90s early 2000s movies that showed thousands of people they didn't get that technology done well enough to where you'd see like repeated patterns yeah in in how a crowd looks i almost feel like on a micro level that's what you're seeing here because you can only <laughs> act one way when something is hot yeah everyone's everyone's doing the same thing when they touch a thing uh, well, Aylborn and, and the other olds come in and explain, yes, we've made it too hot for you to touch all of your instruments of war because we, we abhor violence here on this planet and, uh, and we just can't allow it. They're sort of proto-Kevin Uxbridges, these guys. You know, Aylborn, <laughs> there is a better way. A way that is actually a lot less effort if you think about it <laughs> and that's all you have to do is think about it you just think about how much you want the federation and the Klingons net to be there <laughs> and then they're not <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit sad and you may feel some regrets some sincere terrible haunting regrets however your planet will be free from these problems forever you know one thing I've noticed about Regania is a uh, not a lot of women on the planet. What's going on there? Seems like you guys have a sort of gerontocratic society where only <laughs> old white men are allowed to be in charge. And don't get me wrong, that has its appeals. Right. You know, a, a great way to deflect that kind of accu accusation is to be the only inhabitant of Delta Rana 4. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you guys like your kind of renaissance fair aesthetic and your casuals and your green goats. It's fun, but can I interest you in a slightly more contemporary Malibu vibe? <laughs> the thing that goes unsaid in this scene is, you mean you guys chose to look this way? <laughs> <laughs> These guys could look like anything. They're, yeah. they're beings of pure light and energy. Yeah. Beings of pure light and energy either look like guys in green screen suits that have been comped to be yeah. energy men or like glowing points of light. And these guys are the latter. And yeah, they uh, reveal themselves to everyone there. And, you know, like they've done a great thing. They've they've prevented this war between the, the Federation and the Klingons. So yeah. that's good. Nobody wanted that war. They rap about this like a couple of baseball teams that had their game rained out. Like the coaches meet on the field, the rain's coming down. They're like, well, I guess we'll like try to play a doubleheader <laughs> in a hundred years or whatever. Like, yeah, who knows? We get kind of an elliptical edit because the button on the episode is back on the bridge of the entrepreneur and Kirk tells Spock that he's embarrassed that he's not the most powerful thing in the universe. <laughs> like that was his big takeaway from this from this mission. <laughs> I thought I could control everything, Spock. Turns out I can't. I'm not a being of pure energy. That is certainly one way to process this information, Kirk. <laughs> Did you like this episode, Ben? Uh 
I did. I think it's it is a significantly weaker episode uh, than some of the other TOS that we've watched recently, but fun to watch. I mean, we also watched the Trouble with Tribbles episode, and that was another example of original series Klingons. And you know, we've given a lot of consideration to like what the Klingons uh, are like through the years, and I think that it's interesting that the ones that that different creative teams behind different series have felt the most emboldened to change, right? Yeah, where did they get off? They change in the movies. They change from season from series to series, and uh, I think of the Romulans as being like another like global power. There's some inherent racism in here where like I think that the Romulans are coded as like Russian slash like a different imperialist uh, society that is like equal and and to be feared in the way that the Russians are. And then like the, the Klingons are kind of like the other that is reimagined from series to series in a way that. I think largely designed to map onto the other of different eras in American mm. in American society. Like we talk a lot on, on Friendly Fire about how like the you know the collapse of the Soviet Union meant a, a specific boogeyman for American action and war movies went away. And so like the the Klingons become a different thing from era to era to kind of like fit new rules and new new fears that people have, I guess. That's well put. We had been told by many people that this was the clunker of the TOS ep that we've watched so far. But the interesting thing about it is that like, going into this project, I thought the TOS portion of it was going to suck <laughs> and be not fun for it. Yeah. But even though this episode is not the strongest TOS episode we've seen, uh, the fun factor is constant. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun TV. It really is. And I know that... Like we're playing a little bit of TOS Minesweeper at this point. Like eventually right. we're going to hit the mine, <laughs> but I think we've got a great streak going. We do. Yeah. This episode also really surprised me from a writing standpoint. Just like I kept thinking that it was going to be a very facile metaphor and it was like more sophisticated as a metaphor than I imagined it would be going in. Yeah, metaphorically more sophisticated, but uh, constructionally less sophisticated as a as an hour of television. Totally. In a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to see if there are any Priority One messages waiting for us in our inbox, Adam? We eat Priority One messages for fuel, man. <laughs> that we do. And once the greatest discovery gets you in our claws, you can't break free because we're a <laughs> podcast and we- don't have claws. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from Adrian. That's to Phil. Message goes like this. Happy birthday to the best roommate a guy could be stuck during an indefinitely long global pandemic. Mm-hmm. I didn't get this message submitted in anything resembling a timely manner, so I'm sure you're hearing this forever late. <laughs> But are either of us really surprised? Here's the thing, Adrian. Uh, you're not late. The pandemic continues. The pandemic is indefinite, as promised. <laughs> you're right. So you're right on time. And uh, wow, I really hope you and Phil haven't murdered each other yet, uh, being cooped up the way we've all been. Uh, wow. 
Indefinite is right. Uh, stay healthy, Adrian and Phil. Yeah. Keep calm and priority one message on. That's what I'd say. Yeah. Our second P1 is from Aaron in DC, and it's to Adam and Ben. It goes like this. Even though I've dragged my wife to all your DC live shows, there's there's a typo here, DC love shows. <laughs> oh, accurate. She hasn't taken the hint to send me a P1. So I figured now was the time to bite the bullet and send one myself. Thank you both for providing some laughs and keeping me sane during these crazy times. What crazy times is uh, is Aaron in DC talking about? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the show gives you and me some laughs during these, these crazy times, too. That's for sure. Indeed. Well, if you'd like to send a priority one message head to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron it is a hundred bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message and boy do we appreciate it top of the morning to ya this episode is brought to you by the saint patrick's day shamrock shavers manscaped this year don't just chase rainbows make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for Below the Belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up, the episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. 
Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Barona? I'm going to give it to Aylborn because um, I think a lot of this episode is an episode simply because he is not forthright about who and what he is. He says, you know, like, we're not afraid of you or the Klingons or whatever, but all he needs to do is become the point of blinding light in the room to demonstrate uh-huh. to Kirk, like, oh, yeah, like, obviously, this guy is, like, beyond us. You know, he is to us what we are to an amoeba in an evolutionary sense, and he has nothing to fear. We can all go home. <laughs> so, for the sake of TV drama, is uh, is always going to get an Edward Larkin from moi. Yeah, oh, that's, a, that's the easiest way to get it from you. Uh, what about you, Adam? Uh, one... Subject that didn't come up during our conversation is what I'm going to use my Edward Larkin time for. Do you yield your time, Ben? Uh, I yield my time to the gentleman from Washington. One credited actor in this episode really caught my attention, and that was Basil Polidorus, Mm. the composer, the film composer. He plays a Klingon soldier in this. Whoa. He's in two other original series Star Trek episodes. He's the composer of the Hunt for Red October theme. He's the composer of RoboCop and Conan the Barbarian and like Starship Troopers and a dozen other of my very favorite film scores. Wow. It's incredible that that Basil Polidorus is this Basil Polidorus. Damn. And I'm going to give him my Shimoda for that. What a career. Man, amazing. Yeah, just awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, One of my favorite composers of all time. Love it. Uh, He makes a film score that is appropriate for a gym session. (laughs) Back when people were going to gyms, I would uh, would rock his his Conan the Barbarian (laughs) score all the time in my AirPods. That sounds very fun. That sounds like a John Gabris kind of gym session. Kind of does. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what that guy listens to. Probably a lot of the boss. <laughs> well, Adam, what do you uh what do you feel we should do with our time on the next episode of The Greatest Discovery? I would like to do a true blue Q&A app with you. A true blue Q&A app? That means we're bringing Rob's 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 on the show? Yeah, I think I'd like to get Rob's 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 on the show. Uh put him on the mic. Yeah. You know, he so rarely is on the mic. He, no one knows what his voice sounds like. Nobody listens to the end of the episode. <laughs> no, but you, but you stick him on on from the beginning. I think it would be good for Rob's to get some reps on the mic. 
I think that kid's got promise. <laughs> yeah. I think he could have shows of his own if he if he had that kind of ambition. Yeah, well, if he had the right color of jeans. Right. So let's uh, let's do kind of a free form Q and A app, and you guys know how it works. You just uh, leave a five star review over at Apple Podcasts with a question in the comment section, and we'll take it from there. We'll uh, read some questions. We'll answer some questions. We'll have some laughs. Uh, looking forward to that. We'll make some friends along the way. Yeah, uh, we always need more reviews over at Apple Podcasts, so get your reviews in, leave a five-star review, ask a question, and we may answer it on the next episode of The Greatest Discovery. So until then, uh, we'll, we'll pass the show over to Rob's, and he'll take it from here. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is produced by friend of DeSoto and YouTube sensation Adam Ragusia. The Greatest Discovery is a podcast that's made possible by the support of listeners like you. To make sure that we continue to make episodes, visit MaximumFun.org join and pledge your support. By doing so, you'll gain access to all of the Maximum Fun bonus content, including our bonus episodes. If you want to chat about the show on various forms of social media, just search for our discussion groups or use the hashtag GreatestDiscovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR. Adam is found at Cut for Time, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks. Has anyone ever done the Kenny Rogers through the years montage showing all Klingons and their like <laughs> evolution? <laughs> That'd be fun. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.